This is episode 27 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Caroline Brindo. She's a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and she's currently the clinical manager of Ohio with MBS Envision, a provider of mobile modified barium swallow studies. She is also the ASHA CE administrator for MBS Envision and presents courses on dysphagia assessment and treatment. She has spoken at multiple state conventions as well as the 2016 ASHA National Convention. She has written for the Ohio Association's peer-reviewed journal and served on the 2017 ASHA Convention Topic Committee for Dysphagia. She has over 17 years of experience in dysphagia management and has worked in multiple acute care hospitals, skilled nursing, home health, and in outpatient settings. Furthermore, she practices preventative maintenance in swallowing at local wineries, and that's why I think she's my new best friend. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited for this episode today. It was so much fun to record. Uh, this is Caroline Brindo. She's um, an SLP in Ohio that works for a mobile MBS van. And or no, it's not a van. You'll hear all about it. It's really stinging cool. But anyways, I just enjoyed talking to her so much. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode as well. And I just wanted to remind you that she posted some really awesome show notes for you guys. So stocked full of references of some papers that I had never really heard of. So um, I was really excited to have her on and give us some fresh new references. So you can always download those um, at bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash SYP podcast 027 or you can text SYP027 to and get your hands on all of Caroline's awesome references. And as always, we have to thank our, what month is this? This is February now. Holy crap. Um, our February sponsor continues to be EndoHD. I'm forever grateful for your support for helping out with this podcast, and I'm sure all 23,000 of our listeners are grateful for your support as well. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Hi Teresa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here. No, thank you so much for having me. You like you've had some amazing guests on your show. So I am so excited. I'm just like really honored to be like a tiny part of this. Oh, thank you. Well, you're, you're a huge part of this actually, because (laughs) I've gotten so many emails from people like, why is this whole thing about fees? And I'm like, cause those are all my friends. And I'm like, I really haven't had anybody like mobile MBS (laughs) that has come on yet. And I've had a couple of people reach out to me and they've fallen through. So I know you sent me that quick email one day and I was like, ah, can you come on my podcast? So, so I'm funny. super grateful. I know, I know. No, so people awesome. think I'm, yeah, people think I'm just all fees and I'm like, nah, man, I'm all everything. I'm all instrumental everything. I, <laughs> I want I everybody to have access to everything. So everybody should thank get you everything. so much. Yes, yeah. yes. Everybody should get everything. So, <laughs> okay. So in the beginning, I did a little intro about you, but okay. if you want to tell the people a little more who you are. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been practicing in dysphagia for a little over 17 years now. Um, I got really, really lucky with my first job. Um, it was an acute care hospital in rural Ohio, but it was really big for the area. So I got to do a little bit of everything. Um, obviously, I did inpatient acute, but I also did outpatient kids and adults. I did home health. They contracted me out to skilled nursing facilities. They contracted me out to a preschool. So um, it was a great first job. But the best part for me is they needed somebody to do their modified barium swallow studies a couple days a week. So right out of grad school, I was able to get just like great training in modified barium swallow studies. So um, I worked for that hospital for about eight years. And then um, I did about 10 years ago, I took a job with the company I work for now, um, MBS Envision, as a staff speech language pathologist doing mobile modified barium swallow studies. Um, and then for the past five years, I've been the clinical manager for Ohio for MBS Envision, and I'm also the ASHA CE administrator for the company too. Um, so obviously, I still get to do modified barium swallow studies, but I also get to put together um, presentations and courses for our facility SLPs that we contract with. And then I've also spoken at several state conventions. I got to speak at ASHA a couple years ago on dysphagia. Um, I get to write for our state journal, um, do nursing and services. So right now, I feel like the education bit of what I do, um, honestly, especially right now, is just is really important. It's a big part of what I do. So yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So you guys also provide CEUs to the SLPs at the facilities that you service. Yes, we do. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard of a couple different companies doing that. I think that's such yeah. a great service. Yeah. And it's nice because they know who we are. Um, so they can feel comfortable asking us questions and talking to us and, and really providing education on dysphagia is really, honestly, it's a big part of what we all do in the company. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that was kind of a unwritten rule when I got into doing you know, mod or oh my gosh, I'm saying modifieds now. <laughs> when I got into doing mobile fees, I guess I didn't realize how much the yeah. other SLPs were going to rely on me for more guidance of what to do with their patient. You know, I just thought I was going to give for them, sure. you know, just a, an instrumental evaluation report and, you know, let me know if you have any questions. And, and I had no idea that they would be asking me, you know, treatment or how should I handle this family member? What mm -hmm. should I say in the plan of care? So I, that was kind of the tip of the iceberg for me when I was like, wow, we need some really more widespread yeah. education and dysphagia. Yeah. And I know like in our market, a lot of the SLPs that are in skilled nursing, which is our main kind of uh, area that we go to, um, they are relatively new SLPs and a lot of them are all alone. Um, so kind of being there to provide like a second opinion or a backup if they need information or resources. I mean, that is, that's definitely, I think a big part of the, the mobile. SLP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my contracts that I have, there's three SLPs that service all of their facilities, facilities, yeah. and they're all only about one to two years out. Mm -hmm. And the one has a CF too. So okay. it's like combined, you know, the four of them have maybe five years of experience collectively. So yeah, 
you know, so they rely on me a lot for first right. education. That's really kind of where my blogs and podcasts came from because I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm writing this stuff over and over I'm and sure. over again. You know, I'm like, for oh, sure. I just wrote that email to her. Here, let me send it to you too. And then I'm like, okay, yeah. we need to get this info out there. So I know, I know. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So, t- so talk a little bit more about MBS and vision for us. Yeah. So I feel like, honestly, I feel like we should almost compare notes. Like I'm mobile. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, these were like practically like doppelgangers or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> MBS and Vision, um, we are actually a totally, a completely mobile modified barium swallow study company. So we're not um, a van that the patients come out and get in the van with us. We actually have our own specialized equipment. It's kind of like a C arm, but it folds up, and we can unload it off the van and go into the facility. Oh. My gosh, That's I didn't pretty, know that existed. I know we are pretty amazing. I'm not gonna lie. I thought everything was a van. No, so we unload, we can set up in the patient's room, um, or like a private dining lounge or anywhere they have a little bit of space and privacy. Um, I find that it's great for the patient because they're in a comfortable, familiar environment. Um, yeah, it's great for the facility too, because a lot of their, you know, their non-SLP staff can be there. I can explain things to them. Family can be there. So it's, it's great. Um, yeah. So we set up everything, we bring everything with us. Um, we do the study, provide education, and then we pack up and we go on to the next stop. I, obviously we practice in Ohio. I'm the clinical manager for Ohio. Um, we also have an office in Michigan um, one in Illinois in the Chicago area, and then we are just opening up in the Wisconsin area as well. So that's where we are at. And you guys are all like these like C arm things, like you're mm-hmm. not vans. Yeah. I mean, that's that's totally mind blowing to me. That's the coolest thing ever. I know. It's honestly, I was uh, doing. I did my last clinical as a student in an LTAC. And this company that I work for now literally came into the facility and I was blown away. And I literally sat there as a student and I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do someday. So yeah, yeah, it's a great job. So, okay. So when you go out, is it just you and your equipment? Yep. Okay. So, okay. Don't be jealous, but I have a driver. I will be probably. I, yes. <laughs> I have a driver. So I don't have to drive. You have a driver. I know. Um, but the driver is also the tech who unloads everything, sets everything up, gets the barium ready, everything like that. Um, and then the other part of my team is a physician that travels with us. Um, so the great part about having the physician is that, okay, so when we first go into a facility, the physician and I, or the, you know whoever our, our SLP is, will um, do the chart review together. So that's huge because we can look at medications, we can look at medical history. If there's a diagnosis that I'm not sure about and how it might relate to swallowing, um, we can talk about it. Um, So we do the whole chart review together and then we go in and I then will talk to the facility SLP and get some scoop on the patient and see what's going on. And in the meantime, the physician examines the patient and does an H and B. Um, so that part is also great for me because I get information on the patient's lung sounds, their medical stability, their ability to answer questions or follow commands or participate in a conversation. 
So it kind of just gives me a little bit more preliminary information about the patient. Um, and then for us to be compliant in the states that we practice in, um, the physician has to run the fluoro. So the physician runs the machine, sets it, you know, kind of turns it on, sets the settings and runs the fluoro. And then I run the study um, and kind of decide what to do with the patient. Um, but obviously the physician is there the whole time. So if there's something kind of wonky with the anatomy that I'm not 100% sure about, we can talk about it. He can recommend a referral. Um, so it's, it is really great having the physician there too to kind of provide that, that added layer of information. I'm making decisions or recommendations later, I have all the information that I need. So yeah, so it is, it's, it's a great job. <laughs> like every, and, and every day is a little bit different. Um, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm still not tired of them. So, you know, yeah. it's great. So you have a driver and a doctor, Caroline. Mm-hmm. I know. It's, I'm doing something horribly wrong here. It's a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I'm putting this out there. I usually tell people how hard my job is, but it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, what you said at the end is every day is totally different. And That's I know, fun. like, I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes when I go into these facilities and, you know, you always hear, oh my gosh, I never would have expected that. You yeah. know, and I think from doing swallow studies for so long, you yeah. like nothing surprises you anymore. You no. know, this one oh, yeah. person that you thought for sure would have a beautiful swallow, you know, regular diet, thin liquids is silently aspirating everything. Yeah. And then conversely, I had this man yesterday that sounded horrific. And I thought we were just going to be pulling gobs of secretions out. And turns out it was all pulmonary, you know, it was right. nothing in the upper airway. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. Nothing surprises us. <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> a luck, you know. You know? I know. It's, you know, years ago, we had a physician that worked for us that was a, an ENT. And so he and I decided, like, okay, you know, we're good at this. We know what we're doing. We're going to make predictions just between he and I. So we had this, like, kind of bet going on. And we were wrong all the time. We were maybe right. It was less than half the first, you know, half the time we were right. So, and we did it like we, it was our big thing. So we did it for like months trying to kind of see how, if we would get better with time. And I tell people all the time when I give courses that the more instrumentals I do, the more I realize that we need them. So Absolutely. I think that's the, that's the key point there, Caroline. Right. I kind of said it better myself. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, so that, that kind of leads us into the next point is, yeah. you know, how reliable, how much can we rely on clinical signs? I mean, right. you know, I always say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't say we don't need the clinical exam totally, right. but it's very limited in what it tells us. Right. Well, for sure. I think that, you know, that we have, um, you know, we have a lot of research out there telling us that clinically we cannot do this really accurately. I think clinically we can kind of get an idea or form a hypothesis, but, um, you know, we're not, we can't be perfect at clinically. Um, obviously I don't think that every patient needs an instrumental. Maybe, I don't know. I'm sure there's a few, Yeah. (laughs) but I absolutely believe that way more patients should be getting an instrumental than currently are. Um, I think we know enough about silent aspiration and the lack of really good clinical signs to tell us that we're, we're really kind of guessing and just forming a hypothesis at that side. Um, 
I don't know. Did you ever, ever follow the old dysphagia listserv, like before there was SIG13 even, and before the old, like the Facebook forums? I'm not sure. I don't think so. SIG13 was kind of my first foray. It was, it was awesome. The best post I've ever seen in my entire life, like happened on this old school. (laughs) So there were some clinicians on there and they were talking about like, if you really practice long enough and you work on your clinical skills that you can accurately determine dysphagia and aspiration at bedside is basically the, the conversation. And then no joke, Dr. Jerry Logeman like logs on and basically says to them, like, no, you can't do that. I can't do it. And I'm better than all of you. Ah. And I was just like, oh. It's like, honestly, even if we didn't have the research, like, like Dr. Lohman saying that, like, that would be enough for me. I'm like, okay, bring you out. I believe you. Done. You know, you know, but even, you know, like we have so many, we have so many research studies right now and it changes it more every day that tell us that these clinical signs that we're looking at are not really great indicators of aspiration, pulse ox and temperature spikes and wet voice and even cough. They're not accurate enough for us to begin a plan of treatment. And, and the thing is, even if they were great indicators of aspiration, they still don't tell us why that person is aspirating. And that's what we're supposed to be treating, right? Like why they're aspirating. I mean, it's not like we're not treating their diet. You know, we're treated, we're supposed to be treating their dysphagia. And we can't really know what their dysphagia is, you know, without, without an instrumental. Um, so, you know, there's the other thing to think about too, is that there are huge variances of normal, like with regard to laryngeal elevation and mastication time and onset of the swallow from the time the bolus enters the mouth until we feel the larynx move, you know? Um, so we, what are we comparing that to when we're, when we're sitting at bedside and we're feeling their larynx move? We don't know what, how much it moved beforehand, you know, maybe it's normal for them and it feels diminished, but maybe it feels diminished or maybe it feels normal to us, but it's really diminished for them. You know, we just don't know. So you know, the other side of recommending instrumentals that that, I, that we don't talk about a whole lot is that most other medical professionals use instrumentals to determine their plan of care for a patient, right? So like PTs and OTs, they look at x-rays, they look at MRIs, registered dietitians look at blood work and weight measurements. Um, so respiratory therapists look at chest x-rays, and, you know, lung function tests and physicians, like they order tons of instrumentals before they're deciding what to do with the patient. And then we come in and we decide what to do with the patient and make these huge changes to their care based on like what, like what we think might be happening. I, I think that it's one of the things that we do to ourselves as medical professionals that, that keep us from establishing ourselves as equals, to be honest. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we do like, we complain when working in the hospitals and acute care that, that we are low man. And, but I think that if we want to be really treated like medical professionals, really act like, and we have to use the evidence to determine our recommendations. 
right now, the evidence is telling us that we need an instrumental to determine physiology. And I know that it is hard sometimes, especially in skilled nursing facilities. I have been there. Um, that sometimes you have an administrator telling you, like, I hear this all the time. Like, my administrator says I can only do two a month. Like, and so I know, I know it's hard. Uh, there, you know, people are probably listening and like screaming at us right now, like, oh my gosh, I can't get an instrumental. But it is the problem is as long as we keep practicing this way and we keep accepting it, it's going to keep happening. You know, like an administrator is not going to wake up one day and decide to be nice and start letting you do whatever instrumentals you want, right? It just doesn't happen. So we have to keep, I think, persisting. We have to keep insisting. We have to give them the data that shows and we cannot give up and just accept it. Um, I think, and your, actually your website has a fantastic resource on, I think it's advocating for instrumentals. So um, I love it. And it's something that we talked to, like, honestly, we talk about a lot of the same tips to our, to our facility speech therapists all the time. So, um, you know, I think the number one thing that I tell therapists sometimes is to find a buddy. And I think you mentioned this on yours too, is to find an ally in your facility. If it's the registered dietitian or, you know, the respiratory therapist or the DON, DOR, it is a lot easier to go to an administrator and say, okay, we are very concerned about this patient. We're really noticing poor PO intake, weight loss, dehydration. You know, we really feel like something is going wrong with this patient's swallowing. We really need to take a look. Um, so I think getting that ally to kind of co-conspire with you can be really helpful. Um, if you want to check out that blog post that Caroline is referring to, you can go to uh, my website, my blog, uh, mobiledysphagiadiagnostics.com forward slash blog. And then the one she's specifically referencing is under the step-by-step -step guide to advocating for access to instrumentation. It's a four-part series that should help you out. The other thing that I think that we really suck at as a profession is bragging about ourselves. Um, so if you get that, and I tell people all the time, if you get the instrumental and you are right about why you needed it, you need to tell people. You need to go to your administrator and just be like, oh man, thank goodness we did that modified or that piece on patient XYZ. This is what we found. And it was, you know, it was really great that we had it done. I could have never determined that clinically or at that side. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to help, but the important thing is, is that you do them and like, don't give up and keep working on, um, you know, like I said, you have a ton of resources. Um, I tell our facility SLPs, they can email me anytime and I have resources that I can send them to. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love what you said. We need to brag more. I think yeah. I, <laughs> I think that's terrible. totally the truth. I mean, yeah, there's this one doctor at this one building that's just been the most gigantic pain in my, you know what? <laughs> and, you know, it's like every time, like she's so resistant to ordering it and she'll finally order it. And then it's always like the wildest study, you know, and I'm like, we yeah. have to show this to her, you know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> like, it's like, I feel like I have to vindicate myself to her, but you, you know, you're totally oh, right. Sure. Like we have to we have to brag more, you know? Yeah. And then on the flip side, you know, with saying that, you know, we're hesitant as a field to 
to keep advocating and, you know, ask our administrators, but we really, you don't know what you're up against until you, you do it. You know, one of the girls right. posted in my Med SLP newbies group on Facebook last week that her, I think DOR had asked her to go do the blue dye test on a mm-hmm. patient. And she, you know, gathered a few studies and went back to her and said, you know, that's really, it's really not reliable in, in assessing dysphagia. And I really need an actual instrumental before I'm going to feed this patient with a trach. And the DOR was like, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed that you took the initiative to go find right. this research. And she said in the past, none of the SLPs that we've had at this building have really dove into the research and they've really just been stuck in their ways. And I, I think that's awesome. You know, yeah. you know, we right. may be scared to talk to our subordinates or, for some reason, but you never know till you try, you know? Right. Exactly. And now this girl's got a whole new world of respect for herself because the DOR believes in her. So yeah. Oh yeah. And sometimes it just takes like that one little thing to kind of set you apart as a professional that's going to really do your duty and and really go for it and go the extra mile. I know I was working in acute and people complain about radiologists all the time, you know, leaving in the middle of a study or whatever. And I had a radiologist that really did not want to do modifieds. Like they, obviously they hate doing modifieds, but um, one time in the middle of a study, I saw a Zankers. Okay. Which is not really that super hard to see, but um, I saw a Zankers and he was, he was amazed. And it was like the rest of the time I worked at that particular hospital he did modifies whenever I wanted. He would stay with me. He'd ask, he would, he thought it was like the coolest thing that I noticed it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like this one. And I never told him like, oh, they're really not that hard to see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like that one little thing I think sometimes that you can do. And um, as long as you keep trying, you know, sometimes you can find that one little thing that works for that administrator or that physician or that radiologist. So Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I can't just, I mean, I've never been one to sit down and be quiet, so I, yeah. I don't have that in me, but <laughs> you have to keep trying, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. So let's, let's get into it, Caroline. So is I it know. really, is it really MBS versus fees? Are we really like the battle royale here or I know. are we this working together? This is the point where we start arguing, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And it's not going to happen. No. Ridiculous. <laughs> I know. People came to the show thinking it was going to be a Jerry Springer episode, and it's it's not happening. I feel like we're going to be a disappointment now. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> the, the problem is they are both such great tools for our field. They really are. And, and, and actually, I think this kind of urban legend of the – of the battle between fees and MBS is because I think that there is a lack of complete understanding about both tests and what they can do and what they can't do even. even. So if they're used, if they're both used properly, um, they can both give us great information. Some of that information is the same. Um, Some of that information is different, but I think that different information can be really complementary to one another too. you know, so they're, but they're not interchangeable, I think is the point to make. Um, there are things that you can do that I am super jealous of. Like I am really limited with my time because I'm using radiation um, and you don't have that problem, you know, as long as the patient's going to tolerate it. 
you can keep going, you can do feed biofeedback and look at all kinds of stuff. And, and I am, I'm really jealous of that. Um, so, you know, I think that you also have this fantastic view of secretions that I would die for. Like I would love to have an idea of what's going on in there. And, and see well, tell me, because some people that do modified say that you can see secretions. Sometimes I guess you, what's your, like, yeah. Sometimes you can. So if they, um, for example, if it gets, obviously if it gets coated with barium uh, at some point in the test, you can kind of see what's going on, but I cannot just turn on the MBS and be like, oh, look at those secretions, you know, like you can't, that'd be great. Um, so like I said, sometimes if they get coated with barium, but again, that can change the, the viscosity of the secretions that can, you know, change how they, you know, it sometimes can change how a patient swallows. So, you know, I would love to see the secretions, you know, au natural. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really had never thought of like, I, I had a brief stint of doing modifieds myself. So I, you know, I have done them, but not in mm-hmm. years and years and years worth. And I never, I guess I never could pick up on you know, copious yeah. amounts of, you know, you can pick up on copious amounts of secretions, but not trace amounts, I right. guess I should say. Right. And someone was like arguing with me the other day that you can see secretions better on MBS. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't fathom that. Like, if yeah. you can tell me how that happens, I'm more than willing to listen. I just can't, I can't get that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like I said, you can see them sometimes, but it's not consistent enough, you know, and like I said, you can't just turn on the floor and take a look at them. So I would like to be able to do that. Um, I would love to have a better view of soft tissues. Like at this point, I'm pretty good at seeing, you know, the if there's a change in soft tissue, or if there's something I should be concerned about, but it's not the same view that you can get, obviously. So I would love to be able to have a better idea of what the soft tissues look like. Um, I would love to see the vocal folds and see what they're up to down there. Um, cool. I, yeah, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I actually try, I like, I do, I watch feeds all the time because I do like try and keep that picture in my head, even when I'm doing a lot of to keep thinking of it as, I think it's really helpful to me because it helps me think of it as more like a three dimensional thing. Cause when you watch MBS after MBS, you start to think of it as it's two dimensional and it's not. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And so conversely, I think of the same thing. Like when I'm watching fees sometimes, like I think of, I try to envision like the depth between like the voleculates of the laryngeal channels to the piriforms. And I'm like, all right, if we had this on a lateral view, you know, how far am I thinking? You know, so it's funny that we do try to, you know, make those switches. Yep. That's awesome. If you are interested in a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for speech pathologists by a speech pathologist for conducting fee studies, EndoHD can be a cased portable system as well as a carded system depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees programs. Contact them today at www.endohd.com forward slash contact for more information. Uh, If you are interested in this true high-definition fees imaging system with HD image display and capture, crisp color image, unsurpassed digital clarity, an HD image with better resolution than legacy systems, which can view details of patient anatomy with double the resolution of standard definition video. So contact them today at www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information. So um, I think... You know, I, the other hand, I love being able to look at the oral function and that portion of the swallow. Um, it 
amazing to me how different it can look in a, in a, on an MBS compared to clinically. Like I, um, you know, I teach courses obviously on the, on the MBS and what in the oral, and when I talk about the oral phase, I always have so many good examples of, okay, on the outside, this patient looks like they're masticating, but look, they just swallowed a cookie whole, literally. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, it happens all the time. So I love having that, that really great view of the oral phase and seeing what's happening in there. Um, can you elaborate on that a little more, Caroline? Like, sure. do you have like like a rotary chew versus, you know, I guess yeah, tell me like, like kind of exactly. more what you can. So sometimes people will, um, they look from the outside, like they are adequately masticating. They look like they're taking their time with a rotary chew. But when I'm looking in there, I can see that they're literally just holding the bolus to their palate with their tongue and just really not doing a whole lot. Or I can see that they're pocketing it. And it's hard. That's not always easy to see from the outside. Um, especially if you have a patient that is not going to open their mouth and let you take a look in there. Um, that's great for me to see, um, you know, so I can kind of really see like, are they really doing what they look like they're doing from the outside? Yeah. So, I, that's yeah. funny you say that. I keep wanting to get a modified for my son because he has a really high palate. Uh, and like, sometimes I think he's like chewing and swallowing just fine, you know, and then all of a sudden I'll like go to get him out of his high chair and he spits out this huge gob that he was like squirreling up in his high, you know, in his palate. Yeah. Like, oh my God, kid, like, I thought you chewed the last bite. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, that's, that'll be yeah. on the agenda someday, but yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also love that I have this kind of really dynamic, continual, cohesive view of the swallow. And like for me, um, that kind of helps me. Put everything together and think about that patient without kind of the interruption, I guess. And again, that's probably because that's what I'm used to. Um, but I really do love seeing how the whole swallow happens in one continuous stream. Like I really love having that. Um, and okay, so I might be biased about this part. I totally recognize. I'm that. sure we oh. both are. <laughs> I also think that for educating. And for showing like non-SLP people, I think the MBS is such a great tool. Um, I think that it is so nice for me to like point to the esophagus, point to the airway and be like, okay, we want the black stuff to go here, not here. Uh, and, and I totally do the same thing on fees. Yes. Cause I'm like, you see that black hole? That's, that goes to your lungs. We don't want stuff going in there. Yes. I think, and like same thing, like showing them the oral phase, like, okay, look, it looks like they're chewing, but you know, guess what? They're really not doing a whole lot with it. Um, this is something we need to work on. Um, so I think for education, I love having um, the, the MBS as this, this kind of dynamic view to show them. So um, I like that I can see the whole physiology, the physiology of the whole swallow. That's, um, you know, that part is great for me. And I like that I can see the esophagus. Um, for me, I know I'm a little spoiled here because of our particular equipment. I can do an AP on pretty much anybody. Um, yeah, so being able to turn around and just do a quick scan um, gives us great information sometimes. So Yeah, I, I will say that's the part that I'm extremely jealous of. Yeah. Is, you know, as much information as you guys can get from, from the esophageal sweep. You know, I know that yes. we... You, we make inferences based on, you know, we can right. see backflow and we can see, right. you know, if, if the UES is not opening properly or, 
things like that. So we know to make a GI referral, but, you know, it would be nice right. if we could kind of lead them, you know, closer to, right. the, to what we're thinking. So right, that's right. why I'm super yeah. jealous, but yeah. <laughs> I know the esophagus is brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great to see. But, um, but the summary is, I think that if you really understand both tests, um, you can make a decision about what's best for your patient. So if you suspect vocal fold issues, like DNA to fees, right? Um, but if you are wanting to see some of the esophageal portion and, and that's a, a concern because of their medical history or some of their symptoms that they're having, you need an MBS. Um, if you need to see like the continuity of the swallow or see the oral phase, then you need an MBS. Um, or if you wanna look at their secretion management, obviously, <laughs> I think the better test is the fees, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and sometimes you have to make those decisions based on the patient's, you know, ability to move and get around and get out of bed. If I can't, you know, as, as flexible as I am, I still can't do it while the patient's in bed. Like that would be great. <laughs> um, but if, or if they have a really severe, like gag reflux or they can't tolerate what you're doing, then sometimes we have to make that decision too, obviously, and do an MBS. Um, I think that we know, and also like we know from research that fees and MBS are interchangeable in some things. Like there's some good research that's showing like we're both pretty accurate at detecting aspiration, um, at looking at residues and maybe even making diet recommendations. Um, but so let's say like, okay, like I do think that there are patients that would benefit because of that would benefit from both tests. Um, I think like, let's say you have a patient that um, has a dis that you're suspecting dysphagia and you need to know the physiology to determine like some treatment and where their weaknesses are. So you do an MBS, all right? And maybe they have some aspiration during the swallow and after the swallow, all right? From residue in the molecular. Let's just, I'm just gonna make up those patients, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so then you're working with a patient, you feel like they're improving, um, and so what do you want to know right now? Like their medical status hasn't changed. All right. So right now, probably what you want to know is, are they still aspirating? Do they still have residues? Can I upgrade their diet? Right. Um, and so could this patient have a fees at this point to determine that? Like, yes, I think so. Right. Um, so the kind of the point, I guess, is that and I think other people have said this on the show that we are not cooks. Like this is not, we are not doing cookbook therapy that doesn't exist. There's no certain plan for any patient, even regardless of their diagnoses. You know, you can't just say, okay, I have a patient with MS. What do I do? So you can't say like, I need a list of exercises for a patient with MS, or I need a plan of care with a patient who has had a brainstem stroke. You know, we have to think critically about each and every patient not just to determine their plan of care, but also to determine what instrumental they need to kind of set that plan of care. Um, you know, that's why we spend tons of time in school. That's why CEs are, are um, not just recommended, they're required. Um, it's because we need them. It's not just to irritate us and make us spend our money, right? <laughs> right. So let me ask you the million dollar question, Caroline. So I have this patient that I... I just know for sure something's going on in the esophagus. Mm -hmm. Or conversely, I have this patient that I know 
has a paralyzed vocal fold and I want to fees. Sure. So the next available opening for an MBS is eight weeks out. Right. Do you think we wait eight weeks or do I get a fees tomorrow? Or conversely, do I wait eight weeks for the fees or if I have access to MBS tomorrow? That's a good question. (laughs) I think that if you're really thinking again, and you have to think about all the parts of a patient, not just you know, like I said, you have to think about what they can do right now, what they're, you know, what kind of information we need about that patient right now and what we can do. And I think like in that case, if you're, I think that you would want to look at what you can do right now. And then maybe, and again, this might be a great patient that would benefit from information from both studies. So if you can do one right now and then, you know, get the other one when you can, which, oh my gosh, I can't believe people have to wait eight weeks for an MBS. That would make me Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, I know. And, and I know it happens. I know it happens. Um, but yes, I think for sure, like getting the information that you can get right now, and then using that time, and then in the meantime, you know, when you can get the other study, getting it. And I think that that is a perfect example of a patient that you could get complementary information from both yeah. studies for sure. Yeah. I think that's just something that just drives me so nuts. You know, I mean, not that we're going to get into different payers and stuff today, but, you know, an administrator saying we won't do the fees tomorrow because we could get a modified in eight weeks that could be paid for. Yeah. You know, and it's like, is that really the best patient care though? You know, this guy's in respiratory distress. There's something going on. Mm -hmm. We'll just wait eight weeks for him to completely, you know, go into a downward spiral. Yeah. That's something that just drives me nuts. Yeah. We need the information now. (laughs) Like something is better than nothing and something's going to give us information. Right. Getting, I mean, I say all the time, the more information we have on a patient, the better. I mean, I don't think any patient is going to, you're going to say to any patient, like, okay, I can get a little bit of information on you and make a decision based on that. Or I can get tons of information on you and make a decision based on that. Like, who's going to choose, you know, the small portion of healthcare? No one. The more information that we can get, the better. Right. You know, I think of it just like, you know, a doctor, like, are they going to wait, you know, eight weeks for an MRI for a stroke patient when they could do a CT tomorrow? Yeah. You know, I mean, is that? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, know, I just don't, yeah, it doesn't doesn't make any sense for our field either that we would leave someone, you know, in distress for that long when we have access to something else. So for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So the incomplete use of the MBS. So I, I, I know in my marketing, this is something that I pick on and I'll be totally honest about it, you know, and, and I think it just comes down to our entire field as a whole. We just have so many clinicians that are trying to be, you know, um, wear so many hats instead of just being, you know, we're jacks of all trades instead right. of being masters of, of one right. thing, you know, mm-hmm. we have clinicians that are inexperienced that are learning to do both MBS and fees, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, I think where we get in this horrible cycle of these horrible reports that keep coming back. And I have this one hospital system that I won't even, I mean, I'll just laugh when I get a report from them because every single report reads the same yeah. silent aspiration recommend MPO. No, right. It doesn't, it, I don't even know that they do the study anymore because that's the report that comes back every single time. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I just, I know. So, 
And I think, yeah. I think so, that's... so give me, make me feel positive again, okay. Caroline. <laughs> but I do think, like I said, I think that's the big problem with the myth of NDS versus fees is that there are, are definitely SLPs out there that are not using the NDS to its full potential for sure. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I, see, I see reports like that all the time that just say, well, the patient aspirated and this is the diet they should be on. And, you know, it, do we really use the full potential of that NDS? Ugh, absolutely not. not. Yeah. No. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think when I emailed you my topics, I said this is near and dear to my soapbox. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. And my, mine too. I'm yeah. probably going to get a little crazy in the next couple I wouldn't. I wouldn't have as successful of a business as I do if, if a lot of MBS people use the MBS to the full potential. Like, I know. I know. <laughs> but anyway, so... For me, like I have always been fascinated by the modified barium swallow study. Um, I went to Kent State and my dysphagia class that I took, like the first time they showed a video swallow study, I almost died. I was so excited. I literally went to my professor afterwards and asked him for like tapes. They were they were VHS tapes. So I'm showing my, oh my age gosh. here, but he let me yeah. take them home. <laughs> And I would watch them in my little tiny apartment. And it's just been like that ever since. So it's such a great test and it can give us such great information. So it does drive me insane when people don't use it to its full potential. Um, We have this gorgeous dynamic view of the swallowing physiology. We can look at strategies. We can try different techniques. We can use a really good one afterwards to educate patients and staff. Um, we can get a great idea of their physiological deficits. We can target their therapy more appropriately. Um, and yet, like there are tons of SLPs that are only getting information on aspiration and a diet and maybe some comments on the response to aspiration. Um, And honestly, this is why I love that so many more people are starting to use the MBS IMP. Um, I think it is such a great tool. Um, We follow a protocol that is very similar to the MBS IMP. Um, And our reports are really detailed. Like it's a really detailed test. Um, It should have a lot of detail in the report. So like when I'm training on SLPs to work for our company, I tell them, I'm like, you have to pretend like whoever is reading this has never seen an MBS before. And when they're done reading your report, I want them to have an idea in their head that is pretty close to what actually happened. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, we have to over document. Um, so first of all, we had to really need to have a good description of structures and their physiology. So like, did they have good lip closure? No. What happened? Like, did the bolus fall out? If so, like, what side? What did the patient do when it fell out? How much fell out? You know, um, did they, you know, what was their oral, oral holding like? What were their teeth like? Did they masticate? You know, if not, why not? You know, was it, you know, bad teeth, no teeth? Um, where did the bolus form? You know, did it form in the mouth? Was it in the vollecula? Did it form in the piriforms? Like, where did that bolus really form and how easily did it transfer? Um, you know, these are all like, it's, it's a lot of information. Um, 
So, you know, I, we go through that through the whole swallowing apparatus until the bowl is clears in the esophagus. So it's a really detailed report of what happened. The other thing, and obviously we need to document aspiration, um, but it's not enough just to say that they aspirated. We have to tell like when it happened, why it happened, and then what the patient's response to the aspiration was, okay? Um, you know, and even like when I'm talking about what a patient aspirated on, I'm not just saying aspirated on thin, I'm saying aspirated on continual swallows of thin with a cup or a straw. So it's very detailed. And that's how they really, they should all be like that. Um, I'll document all the strategies I tried, even if they weren't effective, I'll, I'll document those strategies. I don't want a facility SLP to get my report and think that I didn't try the chin tuck and then, you know, they might bust it out clinically, which that's a whole other topic anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in reality, I tried it and it wasn't effective or it made the aspiration worse for that particular patient. So I want them to know, like I did try this, it did not work. Um, I will also document like how much, um, uh, how much cueing the patient needed to execute a particular strategy. So if I had to cue them to use it every single time, I'll document that. Or if I was able to just say, okay, for the rest of your swallows, I want you to, you know, put your chin down like this. And, you know, I'll document that as well. Because I want the facility SLP to know, like, how often they probably should, you know, cue the patient or how much supervision they'll need during a meal, that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, the recommendation should not only be what solid food and what liquid, but um, any kind of strategies that they have to use, like a liquid wash. I'll talk about small portions for some particular patients. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And there's a lot of information you can get from that modified and it should all be conveyed in that report. Um, and also treatment. And then and we always try and relate the treatment back to the physiology. Everything, anything that I'm going to recommend as far as treatment, it should also be documented as a weakness for that patient. Um, so, you know, I when I see the when I do see the reports, like I always feel like it's like, you know, you went to New York City, you have this famous chef who's going to cook whatever you want for you know for your dinner, and then you, you ask him for like Kraft mac and cheese, like. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, like, there's so much that you can get from this thing. Like, just do it. Right. So let me ask you, Caroline. So if, if say, I'm Susie SLP and I'm the one writing these horribly crappy reports and all I'm looking at is bolus flow and aspiration and recommending NPO, and this is, like, totally eye-opening to me and I didn't realize that you could find out this much information on the mm -hmm. MBS, what would you recommend that I do? You know, like what courses or is there sure. anything specific? Um, yeah. I think Northern Speech Services has some fantastic online courses. They really do. Um, I don't work for them. I'm just a big fan girl of Northern Speech yeah. Services. They're not paying me either. So <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, they have some great courses on on the MBS in adults and in children. Um, I and the other thing, like I tell people, like um, you know, look around and find a facility that's using the I and the MBS IMP and talk to them about what they think of it. See if you can go in and observe 
you know, there are definitely some really good resources out there on how to do the MBS correctly and completely. Um, and it's, if we're doing them, it is our job to, to take those courses and to get that information. Um, ASHA, I mean, ASHA has preferred practice guidelines on the MBS. It has a really, actually a really great summary of all the information we should be getting from the MBS. So that's another, you know, resource to go to. I mean, Asha, we pay all this money. We might as well, you know, use what they have to offer, right? Um, so the SIG-13 group also has some great resources on there that that's been a topic of discussion. So you can go and do the search bar on SIG-13 and look up modified barium swallow studies. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there. We just have to, you know, maybe just not assume that we're doing it right and and make sure that we're doing it right. Like even after doing them for all these years, I still take courses on modified barium swallow studies all the time. Absolutely. I think just because the technology is getting so much better for too. Sure. So we're constantly realizing how much more information we can get from these studies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as someone that does fees, I still took the MBS IMP course mm -hmm. because I like, it just taught me so much too, you know, right. like, there's a lot of things, a lot of those physiological impairments that, you know, we cannot report on fees, but a good majority of them we can. Right. You know, so that was kind of just a good gut check for me, you know, Hey, make sure you are assessing all of these different components too. For sure. So. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's great protocol for sure. The other thing is talking about a protocol is like, I do think that protocols are really important in an MBS. We use a protocol, like I said, and um, one of the reasons I really love protocols is because it keeps us, I think, from thinking of it as a food test. It's not a food test. It's an assessment of the physiology. Okay, so if you're thinking of it as a food test and you start with puree, and maybe the patient aspirates after the swallow with puree and honey thick liquids, right? So if you're in the food test mind, you're thinking, oh man, they can't have puree or honey. So other liquids are not going to look good. Other salads are not going to look good. So done, like test is over. But if you're thinking about it as a physiology test, you know, a physiology assessment, um, that maybe the aspiration is happening because of the molecular residues, because of impaired tongue retraction, then thin liquids can become a viable option. And maybe Absolutely. even something as simple as like a liquid wash is going to be effective for that patient. Um, I had a woman yesterday that has been on honey thick for years mm -hmm. and she did fantastic. Uh, she had so much residue with the thicker consistencies mm -hmm. and the thin was beautiful. Yeah. And I, they all just like gave me so much pushback. Like, no, she's been on honey thick for years. We're going to just leave her on honey thick. That's what she's safest on. And I'm like, no, no. Like <laughs> I was so frustrated because I'm like, look right here. Like yeah. she has a beautiful swallow with thin, but right. she has so much residue with the thicker consistencies. And she had had an MBS actually about a month ago in the hospital. And that was the same exact yeah. comment from the MBS was that she has more residue with the thicker consistency. So I think especially for the younger clinicians, that's always such a wake up call yeah. because they just assume thicker is better. Yeah. So I know sometimes with these younger clinicians, I'll say, okay, let's try thin. And they're like, what? You know, there's no way, you know, he or she's going to be able to swallow that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's try it. This is the time to try it. Yeah. And you know, we, lo and behold, um, like I said, we're never surprised anymore. <laughs> I, we actually, we always start with thin and 
at this point, like our facility SLPs are used to it, but, um, you know, when we get a new facility or, um, you know, somebody hasn't used us before, I've gotten a little bit like, oh, why are you starting with 10? You know, they're NPO, they're NPO for six weeks. And I'm like, no, no, this, this is good. It's good. So, right. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about normal swallowing. I mean, I know it's something that even the yeah. same woman yesterday, she had, you know, she's an older woman, you know, she didn't trigger the swallow till it was in the piriforms, which can be considered a normal variant for that age. For sure. You know, and the SLP was like, well, there was so much in the piriforms. And I'm like, no, there was a little bit, but then she triggered the swallow. Mm-hmm. That's considered normal. Yeah. yeah. And this SLP just thought I was bananas. I don't know. Oh, man. But, yeah. We just don't have a good solid understanding of what normal yeah. is. So. For sure. I feel like, honestly, I feel like we have the same life. Like I've had that happen. So many yeah. times. <laughs> I know. Um, no, I think, you know, we don't spend any time really studying the normal swallow. I think that in the last few years that has, it has become more in the forefront that this is something we need to, to take classes on and take CE, get CEs in there's a huge range of normal in the swallow. Um, and I like, I'll have clinicians tell me sometimes that they put a patient on puree because their mastication time was too fast or too slow. And obviously sometimes that can be okay, but I always think to myself, like, how, how do you know what they were like before? You know, why do you think their mastication has been like their whole life? You know, um, there's a difference between normal and perfect. And I think that that sometimes is something that we forget, that you can have a really nice, normal swallow, even if it's not perfect. Um, A couple of years ago, I was putting together a course on the normal swallow. And so I had some of my clinicians um, chew and swallow for me on fluoro. And I kid you not, I have one SLP who literally ate an entire can of chicken in three bites and 15 seconds. Like she didn't chew it. Like she just basically inhaled it. Um, and then I have another one who ate like one almond at a time, chewed it all up and then swallowed it down for me. And they guess, you know, guess what? They're both perfectly normal. Um, you know, I did fluoro on both of them and the chicken eating clinician had that chicken all the way into, you know, collecting in the vollecula before she swallowed. And the almond one, there was a lot of bolus formation happening in the piriforms before she swallowed, you know? So it's, it's really, can be really normal. Um, I've also fluoroed myself. And I think I posted this on a couple of forums that I consistently penetrate on everything, like all the time. Um, and I caught myself aspirating on video a couple of times and, you know, I'm fine. Like, I don't, I don't have pneumonia. I don't need a pig. I don't need thickened liquids. So actually I should use this as my shout out. Like if you ever do a modified or a fees on me and I'm, I'm penetrating, it's normal. Like don't put me in yes. the I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, I think I, like I had a woman a few weeks ago too, and she was all distraught. Her husband was distraught because she just took so long in the dining room mm-hmm. and you know, the CNAs just weren't okay with it because she was taking way too long. So they told the SLP, the SLP downgraded, I'm saying it in air quotes, downgraded her diet to puree and thickened liquids because it took her too long to eat. 
and I get in there to do the study and the poor husband is like in tears because he's, he says, I can't remember a time that she's ever finished a meal in less than an hour. I mean, yeah. even when she was 20 years old, she's right. always just taken the tiniest, tiniest bites. This prim, proper, sweet little lady just, you know, cut her, you know, food in the tiniest right. bites, chewed it all up, swallowed it. That's what she's done her whole life. Uh, and because she gets to a nursing home that yes. right. they think that she's taking too long. They think that, you know, and, and I just kind of wanted to ask, like, did anybody ask what she was like before this? You know, we just made all these assumptions that she's taking too long. She has a swallowing problem. We need to downgrade her diet. It was just like a perfect storm of yeah horribleness. I don't know. I know. <laughs> but, I know. And yeah. I feel like that, yeah, I'm sure. I know that happens all the time. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a public school kid. And so I eat super fast because when I was growing up, I had like 13 minutes to eat my lunch. And I do, I think that about that all the time. I'm like, I'm going to make a notebook, like a note to future SLPs. Like I penetrate <laughs> and I eat really fast. Like it's yeah. fine. Like maybe I yeah. should get attention. Yeah. Yeah. You great. should. I think you should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to slap some safe swallowing strategy protocol on yes. you real quick. And Perfect. Make sure we sit and watch you eat slow and yeah. Oh, I know. I just know what's going to happen someday. Oh, anyway, um, but hopefully not. Like hopefully by providing this kind of education that, that, that by the time I get there, it won't happen. It'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I like, I personally think the more that you see imaging, like the mm -hmm. more you see MBSs, the more you see fees, the more this stuff is ingrained in your brain. So yeah, like if you're an SLP sure. that's not regularly seeing instrumentals or ordering them, you just have this preconceived notion of what normal is. Right. You know, and right. I think those of us that do instrumentals all the time, we know how much crazy stuff we see. Yeah. You know, and I For think sure. we, we could kind of together write a book about what we think is normal and our ranges would be so wide. I know. And that's the reality of it. Absolutely. Like, it's not this little teeny tiny stream of normal. It's so wide. Right. I know. And I, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know what, like people trip all the time and PTs aren't slapping everybody in a walker or a wheelchair because of it. Like tripping can be a normal variation <laughs> of walking, right? You know, for some it's even more normal than for others. But the same thing with like occasionally coughing or clearing your throat or taking a long time to eat or drink. Like these are all normal variations. Um, you know, there's there's not a ton of courses out there right now on the normal swallow, but they do exist. And the information on the normal swallow is definitely out there. Um, there's journal articles. There are really some great blogs. There's, you know, you have some great resources on your website too, for sure. So there are definitely resources out there on the normal swallow. And I really think it's super important that we, that we get better at knowing what those resources are and knowing what the normal swallow is. So I guess, you know, this kind of rolls into, you know, the, the more we learn about how the wide range of normal, a lot of it, you know, a lot of people are attributing it to, you know, the poor grad school class they had, yeah. you know, and I don't know that we can really use that as a cop out anymore no. because there's some people that have these like phenomenal dysphagia instructors but then they go out in the field and work and forget everything they knew or they had a crappy supervisor and they all of a sudden just yeah. succumb to their ways. Right. You know, right. I think we have personal responsibility to 
to keep learning and to keep seeking out this information ourselves. So, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think that there's any school out there that is saying, okay, here's your one dysphagia course. Here's your diploma. You're ready to do it all. Like, you know, everything there is to know about dysphagia. I don't think there's any grad school out there who is saying this. And the thing is, even if they were, it would only be true for maybe like a few months because this is a really new field. Like there are things happening in this field all the time. So even if we, you know, designed this perfect grad school program that told you everything you needed to know about swallowing, there's still going to be new information that you have to keep up with. Right. So like, I, you know, I, well, I think I'm not that old. I'm not this old, that old. And my job did not exist when I was born. Like really, how many people can say that? You know, that your job, literally when you were born, my job did not exist. So it's a relatively new field. Um, We haven't been around that long. There's new work being done all the time. Um, And it is, it's our responsibility to keep up with it and learn to do better. Um, And I think that it's really important to, for people who've been practicing for a long time to say like, we have all been there. I have so many cringy moments in my past that I think about things I used to say to patients and their family or do. And it wasn't because I was just stupid. It was just because we know better now, you know, and, you know, and the thing, like in the first time I ever went to hear Dr. Lilliman speak, um, she started talking about K and G words and how they don't improve base of tongue retraction and I wanted to die because I was thinking about you my just list. crawl on your chair yeah <laughs> I was thinking about my list of k and g words you know back in my office that I had probably just done with a patient the day before and I was like oh my gosh and I felt terrible but the point is I went back to my office and I got rid of the list like I found out that I was doing something wrong or something that we knew better you know now we know better and I stopped doing it and I changed and I looked at what else I could be doing instead. Um, so I think that's it. Like nobody's perfect. Like everybody makes mistakes, but the point is you have to fix your mistakes and go on and go forth and, and kind of do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I've, that's just experience has taught me, um, you know, going back to talk about the little lady that took forever to chew I think we used to be so used to just putting people on diets. You know, we yes. just make these assumptions and we put them on diets. But the right. more that I practice, the more I ask so many questions. You know, I ask mm-hmm. the family questions. I ask the other SLP questions. I ask the patient questions. And I use all of that before I make yeah. my my decision. You know, I mean, that's what fine. I see on the instrumental is just a piece of the puzzle compared to everything else that's going on. You know, and I think we used to just be so narrow-minded and, okay, this is what we see on instrumental. We saw that there was aspiration. Okay, thicken their liquids. But we've got to consider all these other, you know, did they have dehydration? Do they have chronic kidney condition? You know, do they have all these other things that this may not be the best answer for? So, you know, experience has just taught me to, to really keep asking more questions. Yeah, always. Like we should always be asking questions about what we're doing. Like, are we doing this right? You know, could we do something different? Could we do something better? Um, I think that's really important. So I, you know, I think that circles back to, 
Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. I think that circles back to getting more respect for our field. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have some doctors that really do respect me because I will ask these questions. And when I report back to him, you know, I'll say, this is what I saw, but based on what I found in the patient history or based on these meds, you know, maybe this is the better way to go. And right. I think that's how we gain more respect in our field too, by considering all of Mm-hmm. the medical reasoning that's going into it. You know, we're not just yeah. being so narrow-minded, but we're considering right. the whole patient and how all these different medical moving parts can affect that. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. So are you ready for my my million-dollar question, Caroline? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So what what article or paper was a game changer for you in your practice? Uh, well, I have, I have so many, I know everybody says that to you, but I narrowed it down to one and I don't think anybody else has talked about it yet. All right. So it's actually, it's really simple information. This is an article that I literally try and keep in the back of my mind during every MBS that I'm doing. Um, so it's work that was done by Dr. Martin Harris and Dr. Logeman during the development of the MBS IMP. And what a dream team. I know, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's called The Clinical Utility of the Modified Varium Swallow. Um, it was published in Dysphagia in 2000. And what they did was they looked at 608 modified barium swallow studies that had already been completed. And basically, one of the gathered was the information that they discovered in the MBS, like what they knew after the MBS that they didn't know before. And there was so much information. So what they found is they found that they found like aspiration in a little over 32% of the patients. They found a swallow abnormality without aspiration in 57%. Um, A referral to somebody, I know, right? A referral to a specialist in 26%, um, strategies that improve the swallow in 48%. Um, they recommended therapy in 37%, um, changes in the mode of intake, diet texture changes. Um, and so to me, this information, it speaks so perfectly to all the information that we stand to gain by completing an MBS on a patient. And it's all information that we need to set an appropriate course of treatment for our patients. So that's why it's my game changer. Cause like I said, I know it's kind of simple, but it's just, no, I love, I'm going to dig that one up again later. Yeah. yeah. I honestly, like I try and put it in every course that I teach. Because yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, it really sounds like info we need to revisit again. Yes. And it's just yeah. something to, to really think about. Like we stand to gain a lot by doing a good instrumental on a patient so absolutely I think I guess that's that's the whole point of this episode you know not only do we need instrumentals but we need good instrumentals we need the people that are doing the instrumentals to be held accountable for doing right thorough studies and reporting on and and like you said using the test to its fullest capacity right for sure and not shortchanging our patients I know and I think that in general I think we are getting better um, I think there's been more and more attention brought to this lately. Um, I just saw, again, like on a Facebook group yesterday, that there's an initiative started um, to add instrumentals to the preferred practice guidelines for dysphagia, which I could not believe. When I saw that post, I was like, oh, of course it's already in there. And it's not. 
So well, yeah, um, I mean, it's in the best practice yes, guidelines, yes. but that's the end of it. Right. So it's in the best practice guidelines, but then people are still asking for them getting denied or right. getting even fired. Right. Exactly. You know, and it's what is our governing body doing to help us keep our jobs? Right. So <laughs> I think that um, there was some really good discussion on that on that forum about about this initiative and and trying to really push this forward. So I think that's really important. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I think that we say all the time, well, ASHA should do this, ASHA should do this. Um, but we we are ASHA. I know that people say this all the time, but we are ASHA. And this initiative, they have to start with us. They have to, you know, we can't just sit around and hope that our fairy godmother ASHA swoops in and like tell our administrator that we need an instrumental. <laughs> Like we have to be, right. we have to be a part of it for sure. Right. I love it. I love everything you said, Caroline. Yay. <laughs> You're my MBS bestie. All right. <laughs> now I have a <laughs> friend. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to add to the people? I don't think so. I think. Um... I really like, I wish, I wish that this technology could be everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that's one huge perk of the fees is that I can bring it right into yeah. the bedside so that I mean that would be incredible to have it is amazing every state have you know there that's are, my dream to have MBS and fees at every bedside in every state yeah. you know there are some states that currently won't allow it yeah so there are some states that won't allow it um but I know I think that all the time like I feel like um even on our, like obviously this sounds like a little braggy but I feel like our market they're so they're so used to having us we've been around for over 15 years and they don't realize how lucky they are <laughs> you're totally right that's like a lot of the arguments i get in online because people are like what are you talking about like of course you should order an instrumental like yeah. of course you know mbs can come right to your building and i'm like no i mean that's why i started my mobile fees company because i never lived in a state where mobile mbs was allowed right, right. so you know i did I did went with an alternate plan, right. you know, so I think that's, you know, we're bound by these state regulations, unfortunately, and yeah. we got to go with what we got. So, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I would love to see what we do everywhere, obviously not just from like, I want my company to be a successful standpoint, but because it is, it's, I, I just see the difference that it can make for patients. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you see those patients that have, have been dragged through the ringer for, 10 years without a study, you know, yeah, it's know. like if they it's could so just hard. have access to a study, if there just wasn't red tape from, from Medicare, from the facility, you know, if they could just right. get a study and, and a good study at that. Yes, for sure. That's so, the important part. <laughs> I know. It's like, you finally get them out for one and it's the world's worst report ever. Yeah. And then you just want to bash your head against the wall. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, anyway. So. Right. And then right. I should probably say a sentence too. Like, honestly, like I love talking about dysphagia. So I did put my email in the show notes. So, um, yeah. So anybody, if they have questions or anyone wants to talk to me about it, I, I do. It's like my favorite thing to talk about almost. Awesome. So, yeah. I'm going to start forwarding every email I get oh, to you, sweet. Caroline, because I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, yeah, no, but I mean, uh, that that's great. Thank you for offering that. I mean, I do get a lot of MBS questions sometimes too, and I do my best with them, but I don't want to do you guys a disservice. So, yeah. That's good. Awesome. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. This was wonderful. Thank you, Teresa. Like I said, I'm just, 
I'm excited to be a part of it. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.